I got to warn you. You're doomed to stay. Go. Go. I think we just met Ralph. God, what's next? And we're back for Startup 2, The Confrontation. It's true, there's lots of confronting going on in this episode, as you would come to expect. As we confront, well, items and items of varying quality. And it's true, that, that is actually the theme that will confront these things head on and deal with them. Uh, as best we can. So, what can you look forward to in this exciting episode? Well, we will be, uh, as we touched on episode one, going over uh, American Ninja 2, The Confrontation. A bit briefly, because there's been a somewhat larger gap in recording schedules than planned. Uh, a special treat for everyone is, as we all know, Hasbro have made films based on their toys, but did you know there was a Mattel film that came out in 2016? No, it wasn't. We'll come around to that later. Yes, it wasn't the He-Man film because, as we know, that is one of the signs of the apocalypse, that actually hitting uh, cinemas. It wasn't Barbie either, which they've been trying to get made. But but let's just hold the suspense a little longer as to what it possibly could be. It's true. And we'll we'll dive headlong into American Ninja 2. Yes. Confrontation. Also, you'll find the second exciting installment of Ralph Reed's Star Trek as explore the strange world of Discovery. So we're discovering, not... We discovered last episode... Going, going, just crayon out discovering, put confrontation on the front no, cover of that book. No, but it's called Desperate Hours, which is like a confrontation. If someone's coming to get you and they're going to like do stuff to you, you're like, oh, I'm kind of desperate. See the link, it's good. Tenuous. Tenuous at best. Uh, so, to begin. Method with, Ninja 2, the yes. confrontation. Now, we watched this. It's on Netflix. It is. That's right. We, did, we actually watched this via legitimate means. Unlike many of the other things we have to go through other means, so... So American Ninja, as everyone know, uh, will know is one of the greatest motion pictures of the 20th century. Perhaps even one of the greatest pieces of art of the 20th century. In which Michael Dudikoff, uh, with his astounding acting skills and martial arts know-how, and took on baddies and he beat them up. And did it so well. They made a second one. Indeed. It's the same two, two leads, uh, Joe Armstrong and Curtis Jackson. So perhaps oh. before we begin, uh, you should tell the listeners what American Ninja was, was about. The original one. About American Ninja. Being bad guys. So now yes. you know this entire plot. You don't really have to have seen the first one to have seen the second because the amount of character development is uh, negligible. It's not quite like diving into the two towers if you haven't seen Fellowship of the Ring. No, it could just be anything they could have slapped on. Again, it's a, a canon film. Bear in mind, Michael Dudikoff, if canon had done their Spider-Man film when planned, I wouldn't have bet money against Michael Dudikoff being Spider-Man. Michael would have been a good Spider-Man. In one universe somewhere... Michael Dudikoff was he a Spider-Man. He's the best Spider-Man, because we all know that's Nicholas Hammond. Correct. He's the best live-action Spider-Man of all. It's unsurpassed. So, what was American Ninja 2, the confrontation, all about, Andy? Well, basically, films about two US Army Rangers, again, our main leads, were ordered to discover why Marines have been going missing from their posts at the US Embassy, and they discover that someone called the Lion has been kidnapping the missing Marines and brainwashing them to join his army of assassins. Which sounds kind of straightforward, doesn't it? It sounds like it makes sense. You know, you're evil. You want an army. You get some ninjas. You you not going to use them to go down the shops and buy marshmallows. Yep. You're going to use them to to attack 
and destroy. It's an 80s action film. But the best scene is when the line is demonstrating the quality of these assassins he's had. He's had. There, there have been also there's horrific genetic engineering. There is indeed horrific. I mean, horrific in terms of horrifically explained. It's very bad, even by 80s pseudoscience standards. But the scientists do wear white coats. They do. So that's and, uh, how we know they are they're scientists. scientists. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. But he demonstrates these super assassins by getting them into a, a traditional fight arena and having his head chap, head assassin chap, basically kill them all. That's right. And it's explained several times that uh, it's cost millions to make these special soldiers and they've got big equipment bags and lots of clipboards and lights. Real, and real computers. Real, real computers and you know, all this kind of stuff. Proper computer. And then they just send them out to get stabbed and, and dead. So it's not good. Yeah. So Wikipedia, Andy, how's it helping you right now? because uh, it's basically just giving us a, a more detailed summary. It's you mean you can't remember? No, again, because it's been about six weeks since we recorded the last episode. <laughs> Don't tell them that. It's like opening the curtains. But um, Dudikoff is sidekick, played by uh, Steve James. Yes. Uh, is still the best because he is. He needs a film his own. He is basically, I think, an eighties version of The Rock is is what it would come down to. He is in. He is just. He is far too charismatic for the film. He is playing second fiddle to a man who is part cardboard. To be uh, fair, that's true. He, he is. There is no charisma to Michael Dudikoff. This the the attempt at making him look brooding and that and sort of burdened is just. He does have slightly dead eyes. Not not oh, quite. Not or Monty Sop, Billy Gunn for those of you that are not wrestling fans who are the pinnacle or. Cara Delevingne from Suicide Squad and Valerian. She's she, Valerian, Mark. She still has dead eyes, though. She has the deadest of dead eyes in Suicide Squad. I would agree she has dead eyes in Suicide Squad, but I haven't watched Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which should have been awful, but I actually quite enjoyed it, and I thought she was actually quite good in it. I was surprised. You should go and watch it. Um, in fact, they even have the exciting novelisation over there to read at some point. I've read... I've got some of the... I bought from Comixology a couple of the, the original uh, Bond Destiny. Well, this is quite good. Okay. Uh, but apparently, it earned... American Jew Company earned $1,850,351 in its first 10 days of release. Curtis Jackson, his, his friend, is the best thing in it by a country mile. He is entertaining whenever he's on screen. But it has all the good cliches, like there's a scene on the beach... Where you go off to investigate and, and all the ninjas attack one at a time with special Correct. attack moves. And and they're one pretty at visible time. ninjas as well, they make a lot of noise when they run at you. They, they they, yes. Basically, you see them they they go to uh, one of the soldiers is basically being blackmailed by the evil lion chap, so he's luring in the Marines. But he takes the takes the two or two leads to Mangrove Island. <laughs> Uh, he sabotaged it so the boat basically gets stuck there so they all decide to go for a swim but Joe's suspicious so he stays and has a wee look around then he gets attacked by ninjas and then rescued by Curtis because yes. Curtis is the man Curtis is the man and it's just it's enjoyable tosh it's very enjoyable it doesn't look as coke fueled as the first American ninja a few things can which has a budget of uh, I think about a million and a half and there is no way in the first first American Ninja a million and a half dollars made it to the screen mm-hmm. someone lost a septum on that film uh, Michael Dudikoff memory serves me is not actually in American Ninja 3 what? and then comes back for American Ninja 4 Ooh. I also don't believe that the cool character is in, in them either for and he is for he is no longer with us either it's, he passed away no he's in he is in number 3 he's just not in number 4 well, that's okay. We've got, so basically, number three must be the really good one because it's got the good guy in it. It's not because I'm going to have a little quick look. No, don't spoil it. We no, just just in terms of don't it have has the plot been given away. Might I'm be, not, give, I'm not giving you the plot. The plot on Wikipedia appears to be three lines. Yeah. Oh dear. 
<laughs> and the, the lead is, doesn't seem to have done much past 97 in terms of David, a chap called David Bradley. Oh, both him and Dudikoff are in number four. But he apparently resents the fact that his character gets saved by Michael Dudikoff's character in the fourth film. <laughs> Minor, minor spoilers for these 20-something year old films. If I haven't seen American Ninja 3 or 4 yet, don't give it all away. Oh, but the thing is, on Netflix, they've got American Ninja 2, American Ninja 4, but not 1 or 3, which means we're going to have to use special means to track down number 3. And by special means, I mean the internet. Yes, it's not going to be difficult. No, but I feel we have to. Oh, of course. Uh, so, so again, we were talking about this last night in terms of franchises and stuff. Sort of, yeah. Once you've started on a franchise... If it goes on for a few and you've you've stuck with it for a couple, you have to kind of see it to the end. Yeah, and, and franchises are still a thing. You know, Star Wars is going the Paddles back. I'd say it's a film franchise, though. To be fair, well, because well, it's just, it's basically there's only two Paddle two Paddle films ever get made. Well, funnily enough, and I'm actually going to spoil a lot. So, Murder on the Orient Express is out just now. Just talking about franchises, let's just put put in mind just now because that's one of the cinemas we record this. Kenneth Branagh, Sir Ken, has made it, and. Uh, What's, what's, if you don't know the story he solves the crime right and then there's the fantastic scene at the end where he gets off, off the train and a uh, uh, kind of chap comes along and says oh Mr Poirot there's, there's been a death and kind of like turns and looks at the camera in Egypt in the Nile <laughs> a death on the Nile and Poirot's like ah I am Hiko Poirot I am I needed to solve this and the guy goes, yes, yes, you must. And Paul's like, ah, then we must go to the Nile. And talks like that, because that's Paul's voice. Oh, oh, I've, I've forgotten your accent. No, actually, I'm actually doing it properly. I need to do the proper Paul's voice. I need to, hang on, hang on, because I, I can do it. Here we go. Right. Ah! Captain Eastings in his eye, Hercule Poirot! Do you have some chocolate for me? Ha <laughs> I like reading Dickens. So that is Poirot. That is exactly how Paul sounds. Now, right now, you're probably thinking, wow, I'm amazed that David Sushi was actually brought in specially for this podcast because he is the only true Paro and Officer Ken. But yeah, just mind the franchises, you get a really awkward scene at the end of Murder on the Express 2017 where you can see they're basically pressing the big button said, first of the series, Paro franchise, Paro franchise. Ah. But it'd be good because, as we know, that's, that's what Film Shoot is all about now. So, so do Death in the Nile, obviously, next, if the film does well. But then, Poirot, who, which studio makes uh, Murder on Express? The new one. Quickly, do you use up the internet? Just fine. Because uh, it just occurs to me that if it does well, then they might try and cross it over with another franchise they have. And Sir Ken has done franchises. He did uh, the Jack Ryan film, the fourth one, I think. Jack Ryan something something, it was called. Um, which had the fake Captain Kirk in it. He did, of course, the first uh, Thor film. So he's no secret to it. So we just, 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 we would, we studio put this out. It's Fox. Fox. Hot damn. There we go. Right. Because X Men is still going with Fox, right? And eventually that run out of steam because they've they've done the film in the sixties and the seventies and eighties, and there's a one set in the nineties coming out, and they crossed it over, and Professor X is really brainy, and Poirot's really brainy, and they have time travel on X Men, so there could be a crime that they need Poirot to help them solve to save the world and fact that may be how you finally get Kang on screen it's not because you get Kang on screen I'll tell you why Fox does no I'm going to tell you right no 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 no. I've got an idea right you'll get Kang the Conqueror 
for Marvel Comics finally on screen because what they'll do is they'll go, ha, he was like in Egypt in ancient times, right? For he was Ramata. For he was Ramata. Which is why Paro he can't be ne- the goes and solves the death or denial which is in Egypt. in Egypt, okay, right? And then find some kind of object or whatever and he goes, aha, it's my Ayariko Paro! And, and talks just like that and goes and he finds a thing and that brings Kang back into the present time who then f- goes through time because the, the you know the, the council of Kangs takes Parallel with him to solve something in the, the modern day that will give him ultimate power right and Parallel being Parallel goes I will not do this I am from Belgium I solve crimes I do not help the bad people and then Professor X like picks up Poirot's distress and goes to me, my my X Men, right? And then they all go and they help Parallel to defeat Kang the Conqueror. And that's how you not only get a Parallel film franchise, you get the X Men film franchise even better. And I finally get Kang the Conqueror on screen. It makes sense. Wow. Uh, I would say, however, the more likely thing is it's the uh, production company that did uh, Modern Oil Express uh-huh. is Scott Free. Oh, I see where you're going. Ridley Scott's production outfit. <laughs> so, we're going to get a crossover with Covenant if we're going to get anything. Well, that's right, because, spoilers, the end of Alien Covenant ends in such a way that it still doesn't link up with Alien. So there's still at least one more people to go, and especially if they bring Alien vs Predator back into continuity, because that took place in present day, and could have had like a really old parallel who's kept alive via some kind of technology, and like wakes up in the future and he goes ah it is me Hickle Parlow I shall solve the mystery of the aliens and then and he, he solves the mystery of the aliens and that's what leads to aliens make sense? Uh, no not, not in any way shape or form so that was American Ninja 2 the confrontation yes <laughs> a, ringing, a ringing endorsement from the team but it is absolutely perfect beer and company film yes if you have Netflix I suggest you switch it on and if you don't have Netflix I'm sure it's not too hard to come by yes not that we endorse piracy here absolutely not also imagine DVDs like 50p by now yes I imagine it's probably one of those kind of multi DVDs where you get like the other ones yes box set good times so moving on yes how much doing in Kenny Oxfam well yeah so we've, the thing is we've got mungs to go for but I think we'll go with I think it's that on the top there I was going to I was going to wrap up to episode 3 for that but we'll go to we'll, we'll do it now and we'll go to a more gentler one when next is current uh, explain again what the Kenny Oxfam is it's where we go to Oxfam and we pick up a comic at yes. random yes uh, and we'll talk about it that's basically it however current Oxfam on Morningside in Edinburgh has been doing a little bit of sale where if you buy two you get one for free exactly uh, so both of us separately availed ourselves of facilities now, now, I yesterday say, I, I've got some good stuff I got the I X-Men got... 1996 Marvel UK annual I got the X-Men animation special of Pride of the X-Men in which, mint condition which we'll probably talk about in the next episode exactly because it's worth a check uh, I also picked up all 12 issues of DC Comics Wednesday Comics which was the one done 2009 which it's basically done as a newspaper as an it's really top. really good and I'd lost my copies of it so that was good and a few copies of so Barbie Kitchen's handbook good comics Andy you bought uh, that no no I, okay but I'll go through what else I bought because okay. Burns is, is underselling it so I picked up uh an issue of Green Lantern, issue 119 by Marsden Banks, because it's got Hal Jordan as the Spectre, and it's Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern. It's good. Mm-hmm. I bought a couple of issues of Watla, just yeah. because it's Marvel's humour book. I vaguely remember reading an issue or two at the time. I bought a run of issues of Dark Stars, purely because it's got 
early art from Travis Shuray when he was doing his Jim Lee clone thing. Indeed. Don't judge me, I was a huge 90s image style fanboy. I'm aware. Uh, picked up Legion of the Damned. It's the four part crossover where Abnett and Oliver, Abnett Lanning and Oliver Coypel are on Legion. Yes. It's very good. I've got the special, but they botched the, the order of it and the issues when actually printing it. The first issue of Weapon X in Marvel Comics Presents. Needs no explanation. A couple of issues of X Men. 248. The first Jim Lee interior. Well Not the reprint, the actual one. And 251. Very good. I'm ramping up here. I got one of the finest comics ever, released around the time of uh, Batman Returns. Oh, sorry, just before Batman Returns, I think. It's Justice League Antarctica Annual. It's basically the Injustice Gang and Nort against evil penguins at the North Pole. And it's actually a genuinely good comic. It's the, the Giffen Dematius one with Mike McCone. I've had Brilliant. it passed through my hands a few times, three or four times previously. Likewise. I can also point out you did leave behind all four issues of Wolverine Saga. It's true. See, I'm not just about the tap. Exactly. I picked up all three issues of Phantom 2040. You have the complete run. It's true. But remember, the surprise of finding out who penciled it was a Steve, the great Steve Ditko of Spider-Man fame. Two issues of Babylon Five in Valen's name. Well done. Just Babylon Five has recently returned to Council TV, so that's so why I picked up. Uh, Council TV. Uh, Pick TV. Pick TV channel. Yep. 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 And I got a run of five issues of Dragon's Claws from issues two, two, three, four, five, and then issue nine. So I've got Death Head being reintroduced. It's good. Furman and Senior. Yeah. The team. Again, the dream team. I've had Dragon's Claws several times. about 10 times by now because I keep buying it and then losing it and buying it again. But there's always a thing in these things that whenever there is a, whether it's charity or like comic marks, that you have to find the crappest comic book. I think you've done a, you've done a, it's, it's here. pretty much, um, this is, there's going to have to go some way to top. Death Make Black. That's right, black, and it's in prestige format, so it's got a spine. It's true. As well, so it's got some production values. It is the Image Valiant crossover. Uh, it's got lots of really from famous people. September 90th, so yeah. uh, the Guilty People. Yep. Uh, it's from a story, is plot by Brandon Choi, who was the co writer of Wild Cats with Jim Lee. That's correct. Uh, script by Eric, I'm the brother of Mark Silvestri, who, co- who wrote Cyberforce with his brother the art penciling teams so it's two teams throughout you've got Brandon Peterson and Scott Williams Brett Booth and Sal Regla Mark Silvestri and Scott Williams Jeffrey Scott and Alex Garner Scott Clark and Trevor Scott Greg Capullo and Scott Williams Jim Lee and Scott Williams and Wiles Portaccio and Scott Williams I'll not run through the colourists in the letters not because not to dignate the work but I'm not really we're not going to have a pop at them for doing anything wrong no. whereas the previous people we're going to have a little bit of a go at as we go through uh, yes. So, um, I never read the, the Valiant image crossover back in the day, because while I did read quite a few image comics, I really didn't have any interest in Valiant at all. It just was one of these things like, oh, it's revivals of old properties. Nah, not for me. There is a little bit of a text thing oh. uh, to give you a bit of a recap there, because there's a... Well, 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 let's do the recap so we know what it's all about. Just trying to go through it. So, in a world... <laughs> that's right, it does actually open <laughs> with in a world. Oh, good times. In a world that has long since become a terrible place, Solar reluctantly granted the wish of his lifelong companion, Gale, to dissipate the life-giving injury that had kept her alive and young for so long. So unable to contain his grief by her passing, Solar was literally split in two. The remaining Solar vanished into, into a life of seclusion, while the new persona went off to find other planes of reality to explore. That sounds really exciting. 
There, in a dimension between what is real and unreal, he encountered a creature of incredible power, a woman from a distant universe, oh. Void. 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 Void is the silver-skinned body condom wearer from Wildcats. Oh, okay, I don't know who you're talking about now. That's right. Uh, the two fell in love, a love that would end all time, literally. Oh. <laughs> That's right, literally. <laughs> Upon cons- consummating, their combined energies fused, unwrapping the fabric of time, spiralling backwards and eating away at the- their distinctive timelines. Well, it beats doing the washing up, doesn't it? Uh, well, after yeah. consummating that, I was like, you know, couldn't he just fart and rolled over and went to sleep like most guys? Not even a bit of How's Your Father. Mm. Well, no, that was the bit of How's Your Father. Oh, it caused it. They consummated it, and then basically... Yeah, but, well, I mean, I'm not even going to go into the yeah. bedtime to the How's Your Father. But yeah. there, there, there are different times that it can be done. Uh, so it could be the morning as well, you know. It could but, be, hi, good morning, How's Your Father? Uh, anyway, in an instant, things were not as they should be. Heroes fought alongside those who'd been their enemies in a different world. Great men who would bring justice to the world died horrible and timely deaths. Only men with the gift of foresight, Jeff McHenry and Prophet, knew what all. <laughs> Jeff uh, McHenry. Uh, From accounts. Uh, and Prophet knew that all was not as it should be. Where they had seen the future so clearly before, there was nothing. There was now nothing. I'm assuming Jeff is Jeff the Geomancer, I think, from one of the Valiant books. I believe so. Yeah. Jeff and Prophet are now resolved to gather the heroes of this amalgamated universe together to fight the battle to save all time. Do you know what's so exciting that you have actually literally gone red when reading <laughs> it? I'm not even joking, you have actually turned a fine shade of... of Jeff, M- Jeff McHenry. That's great, it's great name. Uh, the thing is, the reason we're talking about it is because when we were reviewing this yesterday, as you generally do with a, a book like this, I'm not really fussed about keeping it in nice condition, and because I knew it was a lot of varied artists, I kind of you thumb through it to get a, a yeah, feel for it. Yeah, yeah, and the book seems to be predetermined to pop <laughs> pop out at uh, two pages, which I think are possibly, because it doesn't tell you what time the page is taken over, it's either by Jeffrey Scott or Scott Clark. It's entirely possible that P.V. Sonner particularly liked these two pages. Now... How, now how to describe them in a kind of PG-13 PG Okay, way? so, uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the many criticisms of image books in the 90s, and it's a criticism that's not without merit, is yeah. depiction of, and not just image books, to be fair, 90s superhero books in general. Uh, of, of the female characters. Uh... <laughs> How to, des- how to describe breasts with any word other than pneumatic. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will provide a, a photo of the two pages to go along with the show notes for this. The, the way they're kind of drawn is that some, is the females are always thrusting their top halves forward while kind of shoving their bum back. You will always invent any, any mid to full body shot get to see both their, their ass and their tits at the same time. At the same time. And, yes, you, you get this here in... Uh, it's very unfortunate. It's, it's, but the thing is, it's just... It's incredible. It's where the book default pops open to. I know. I know. I, I, it, there are so many bad things about it. I mean, also, the male characters as well are also drawn with, like, you know, the, the, like, the arms are the size of trees and he comes straight out their chest. And, and everyone oh, grimaces. Everyone Basically, grimaces. there's not enough fibre in 90s comic comic participants they have poor diet choices I recommend grape nuts I'd grape nuts are really good you know I bought some today if you want to actually get yourself moving there's two options I go for really uh, there's bitter bassets the work yeah. with bitter bassets is great for helping un- un- unclog you 
It's very good. Or or grape nuts, which neither contain nuts nor grapes, but they're no. like fiber fiber like like meteor things, and you put them in with some raisins, and it's really good. And I think if more people ate them, they would have less dietary distress, and also wouldn't be able to be drawn that way in nineties comics. Uh, there is a link but however so the, the double page spread in question seems to have uh, the what looks like most of the wildcats fighting fighting some violent cats. and who were the wildcats that was uh, Jim Lee and Brandon Choi's uh, thing basically uh, it's just a, a superhero team or a covert action team to give that's where the cat comes from remember the, remember the cartoon yes I do it's all available on YouTube for free by the way you don't have to pay for it on iTunes I think you should watch wildcats again no it's just uh, I've, I've watched an episode that's enough for what me what if someone demands you do it they can demand all they want it's not happening <laughs> anyway so yes. uh, it was Jim Lee's book that he did after he left X-Men to go image uh, it's not particularly good Wildcats is only interesting when you get to the Alan Moore stuff in the first volume because it takes the whole point There's, they're basically soldiers in alien war they end up back in their, real, their home world to find out the war's already finished Yes. Alan Moore typically sub- subverting stuff that's worth checking out and then when Joe Casey takes over for Wildcats Volume 2 and then Wildcats 3.0 which, which I great. highly it's recommend is brilliant as long as you're aware it doesn't end it was cancelled and just stops. yes exactly uh, so anyway they appear to be fighting so basically the caption goes suddenly as the elevator doors open to the control centre which you don't really see anything that looks like elevator doors or control centre uh, look out it's a trap and some things are being shot and then there's com- comic squaring, as in the squiggles and the symbols, ah, yes. I do like. Then, Maul's taken two rock shots point blank, he's finished. Everyone out of here, I'm activating Maul's jamming device, we should at least have a fighting chance now. And then you have the, pa- the, the, the panel taken on most of the page, which is Voodoo from Wildcats, who was a, a memory serves me, was a stripper who then gets psychic powers, of course she's there. Because uh, strippers. And, and an outfit I think she'd probably be ashamed to, to be wearing is in her and also this is a combat situation with inappropriate, <laughs> inappropriate earrings as well for a combat situation <laughs> uh, and yes Turok it is I Voodoo back from the dead but you'll be joining the, their ranks on your journey to hell uh, and then I think it's Ripclaw from Cyberforce saying with a thought balloon a thought balloon oh, oh. I, I, miss, I miss thought balloons I do like a thought balloon Strange. I thought it'd be difficult fighting for the other side, but killing shocks feels very natural, almost as I've been doing it my, my, all my life. Shocks are the bad guys in Cyberforce, and Ripclaw has been fighting them. It's a little, for, little thing of, by the way, this is what he was always meant to do. Mm-hmm. And Turok appears to have cybernetic parts for some reason here, possibly because of the whole Deathmate universe. Mm-hmm. It's like, after you, Voodoo, I still some unfinished business left here among the living. And then she has a thought balloon. The, sh- the strength and speed teeth and claws of a cat that's what I must become if I'm to defeat Turok in battle Oof. and then you got Voodoo the warrior witch of the Daymite Wars and Ripclaw my noble but misguided brother those I thought dead have somehow returned to the world of the living if this be the madness that possessed him then perhaps he was right about everything else that must mean the great spirit sent them to take me then so be it but it shall not be without a fight to the end then you've got it's, it's over for you and the Council of Turok win or lose at least my death will mean something if this world can be saved what an amazing comic it's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it, it's a big dumb fight comic but not an enjoyable big dumb fight comic in that special 90s style yes uh, but uh, what could you what could, there are adverts about to tell you what you could have won instead well it's adver- advertising uh, Stormwatch issue 6 
Uh, this is before Stormwatch was good. Indeed. That's in when they gave it to Warren Ellis. Yeah. And then uh, the Cyberforce Monthly, because they had a mini-series first and then uh, an ongoing. Incredible. Uh, there's also, you can get original artwork uh, for sale from Mark Silvestri, Dale Cairn and Brandon Peterson. From yeah. Then there's a, a spin-off of Cyberforce called Codename Strike Force. I've never read that. Well, Cyberforce. Oh, Codename Strike Force. No. And you can also get Jim Lee Skycaps. Now, Skycaps, for the uninitiated, are pogs. They just... <sighs> They were just oh, called Skycaps. Uh, someone had to. And then it's an advert for Wizards. as good as um, Tazos. Tazos. Star Wars Tazos. Yeah. Which were like and failed, Cheetos and failed pogs. With bits cut out of them so you could assemble. And they had a lot of collectors on them. Yeah. Album when you put them in. They were great. And then you've got an advert for Wizard, the guide to comics. Oh, whatever happened to Wizard, eh? Yeah. There's a sizzling Wildcats gatefold cover by Jim Lee. And it's talking about the new Wildcats team with Travis Sheree, Scott Williams and Steve Gerber, who were the team at that point. Up and coming artist profiles. A look at Japanese comics, Annie are making waves, whoever that was, mm-hmm. and Alan Moore and Jerry Ordway speak out, Devil Dinosaur Lives, and you can also win a Mortal Kombat arcade game. Excellent. And then it talks about the the a crossover in between image between Wildcats and Cyberforce. Okay, so advertising the crossover starting in Cyberforce Series 2, and then before that there was an advert for the monthly, which hasn't actually started yet. Uh, Comics, eh? Yeah. It's not the worst comic I've ever read. Oh, absolutely read. not, no. Uh, the worst comic I've ever read is the Witchblade Dark Minds crossover. Not Dawn of the Dreadforce? No, Witchblade Dark Minds. Because it's nigh on unreadable without getting a migraine. I see. I remember that. But it didn't hurt me as much as Dawn of the Dreadforce did. Dawn of the Dreadforce was great. Oh, indeed, any issue of Supernaturals. Take that back now. It's not good. It is. It's not good. Amazing. It's better hologram comics are available. Uh, no, because the Visionary's comic wasn't really great either. I will cut you. That was that first Visionary story was so good. It was in Transformers twice, and it was in the Visionary's monthly, and it was in the Visionary's annual, and believe they're special, and the special as well. That's how good that Visionary's comic was. So shush. Alternatively, they didn't get enough of the inventory in time. Oh, a world where science fails and magic takes over. I'm not. Holograms. I'm not saying visionaries inherently is bad because I thought the well, cartoon was really good. Supernaturals was just like hologram ghosts. That doesn't make any sense. Hologram skeletons makes no sense. See when you die, right? You die. Your normal bones are there, and they're just like bones. Bones. They don't go go like holograms. They don't go like holograms. Ghosts don't go hologramatic. They they. they Ghosts are a bit rubbish, really, because you think about it, you know, you go through life and you have chocolate milk and burgers and comics and stuff, and everything's all good, so you get nice clothes and housing and holidays, and then you die, and all you get is a white bloody blanket, and you get to hang out in the corner and go, don't need a hologram for that. Where did the ghosts get technology for holograms? Supernaturals doesn't make any sense. The premise of Supernaturals makes no sense, especially the one, there was like an Indian guy in it, wasn't there, like Big Chief or whatever But the, the thing is, the hologram all about? right the hologram has no bearing on the actual concept of it because it was just the gimmick for the toy but the, the toys fiction, are, are real but the fiction doesn't have any mention of the holograms they are just which ghosts which is another, another failing of the fiction you know at least vision of these had the hologram stuff coming at the chest the characters like flying about and doing magic shit but they weren't actually holograms in the fiction it was just well, that sort of ethereal but, they, they but the visionaries sort of, do a similar thing they were sort of like holograms but remember uh, but remember the Indian chief with his the dis- first dis- issue of visionaries had a special hologram sticker and I yep. put it on the front cover yep but 
the, the visionaries did not have a chap who turned into a disappointed looking owl. You're not helping your cause here. I am, it's great. You're not helping the cause. He was a Native American character written in such a way that we would not do today. I'm not talking about the quality of writing, I'm just talking about when the, the poster in the issue has him with his owl form. Yes. Looking very judgmental and disappointed. But. That brought me joy. It doesn't make any sense. Why would he turn into an owl? Okay, if we're going to go it make, sense, make re- sense, remember remember our discussions about Ring Raiders, uh, another similar franchise around in terms of longevity and perceived quality. Ring Raiders is the great unknown franchise of the 80s slash 90s. I'll give you a link again in the show notes to Phil Boyce, I think his name is, who does the uh, a blog about Oink, uh, another underrated uh, gem of comics has corresponded with people involved in Oink from IPC like, and has managed to get delivered to him uh, the reference and guide bible for Ring Raiders which is in the, the 80s property that if Ralph had his brothers he would own exactly and, and bring great. back and planes that fly through time fighting each other what more do you want but the prop- toys with a little ring yes. that's why they're called Ring, ring Raiders. Raiders and they have a song that says faster than evil yeah. faster but, than light but the big problem is none of the, the planes get tweak technology so you do have points where someone's got a jet plane taking on a biplane now that's part of the excitement there's no excitement there is jet, jet wins biplane dies no because the biplane can move about a wee bit more it can't it can more than a jet it can it can, it can do it, that it can't I can, look I'm that, doing it with my hand I'm doing it with my hand it's, it's, doing it's true but it doesn't make it any more correct it's fabulous. There, there was what, six issues of the comic, an annual, an annual an and annual. I believe a special. I believe a special. The cartoon is was never commercially released, but is available on, on, YouTube. on YouTube. All five episodes of it. And you may say, why only five episodes? Because really, once you made five of the greatest cartoons ever made, you just stop. You don't need to make anymore. You just you just stop there. Even the title is great. Ring Raider. Shut <laughs> off the tongue. Ring, ring it does Raider. not have any connotations <laughs> that we will not go into at this particular time. We, we might will, involve sphincters. We, okay. will, we will allow you at home to, to knock your boots out. It does not with describe what happens after a particularly bad cutting. Or happy, happy company eggs. But anyway, so... Yes. So what we, we, di- we, we digress from that. Yes. I would say death, I would... Not encourage anyone to seek out Deathmate Black, not even as a curiosity value. Again, it does have something about a murderer's row of, of images, brightest and best, and a couple of others as well, uh, but only for a couple of pages because I think the Jim Lee pages, who would be your biggest draw at this point, yeah. it's only one, two, three, the back, aren't they? Yeah, the very end, one, two. I think Jim Lee does charitably six pages, yep, yeah, uh, and whilst Portagio manages to do. Hold on. It's just it's, it's not very good, but charitably most of the ni- most of the nineties image books at the early start with that because they're all very generic superhero books Indeed. at best. A few gems, but yeah. that's we will we will move on from from the uncanny ox fan. Okay, it's time for everyone's favorite feature: Ralph reads Star Trek. That's right. Now to explain the premise, it's about Ralph reading the exciting tie-in Star Trek novels one month at a time. So to keep you, the reader, informed. So, what do we have this time? Well, Star Trek Discovery, as you'll know from our last exciting episode, or five of you that maybe have tuned in, um, is the new Star Trek show. And of course, being a Star Trek show, there must be a tie-in novel. So this came out, it's called Desperate Hours by David Mack, who's written good books before. 
He did the the Borg trilogy. He did the Borg trilogy, which was genuinely good. Um, now, this is the first in the Discovery series. Now, it differs from your regular Star Trek novels, and your regular Star Trek novels are usually $8, about 300 odd pages, and normal novel size. Yeah. However, these are prestige productions, for they have a price point of $16. (laughs) Yes, $16, cheaper feeling paper, and a bigger size. And larger type. And larger type. So you get less for what you're paying for. But that's because it's it's a, it's a prestigious one. So, what happens is now, at the time of recording, uh, Discovery has aired the first nine episodes. And it's currently on its mid-season break of season one. And it's been announced, it's done, it's done well enough so far that they're going to order the second season. So it's got at least, at least another year to go. So it's not bombed, so it's going to be a going concern, which means we're going to get more Discovery novels in the future. So that's where we are. Now, Andy has only seen the first two episodes. I have seen the full nine. I'm not going to go into spoilers. What I will say is that so far, what it manages to do successfully is that it doesn't feel, doesn't make the mistakes that Enterprise did and it's, it's a prequel to Star Trek. It doesn't feel like it's got prequelitis. It's, like a, it's telling its own story in a time period that happens to be roughly 10 years before there is enough Star Trek. Some of us have been disappointed. Like Spock hasn't appeared, the Enterprise hasn't appeared. They've not done a whole episode about how it's a prequel to Spock's brain or anything like that. And Ensign Robot Face isn't actually a thing. I'm going to go into that because before we discover this novel, this novel is uh, set about ten years before. Um, actually, I'll hang on a sec. I'll give you the exact date. Let's not be inaccurate here because it's, it's at the front. Uh, we're, we're nothing yes, if not exactly. if not correct with our facts. Man turns pages in book. Uh, the events of this story take place in May 2255, approximately one year, sorry, one year before the Shenzhou's historic mission to the Binary Stars, which is in episodes one and two, and one year after the Enterprise's first mission to Talos IV, which is D.K.H., the original Star Trek pilot. Okay, so, let's read the back cover blurb. Aboard the starship Shenzhou, Lieutenant Michael Burnham, a human woman raised and educated among Vulcans, is promoted to acting first officer. But if she wants to keep the job, she must first prove to Captain Philippa Georgiou that she deserves to have it. She gets her chance when the Shenzhou must protect a Federation colony is under attack by an ancient alien vessel that suffers from the deepest fathoms of the planet's dark, uncharted sea. As the menace of this mysterious vessel grows stronger, Starfleet declares the colony expendable in the name of halting the threat. To save thousands of innocent lives, Burnham must infiltrate the alien ship. But to do so, it's very exciting. She needs to face the truth of her troubled past and seek the aid of a man she's tried to avoid her entire life until now. Who could that man be, Andy? Sarek. No, think again. Is that another Star Trek figure of no? Uh, yes. Is it Harry Mudd? No, he's in the TV show. That's why I mentioned his name. <laughs> no. So, so basically, this gives us what we wanted, right? Because in the TV show, we find out that she was raised by Sarek, Spock's dad. So, in this exciting novel... It's a cyborg. No, sadly not a cyborg. If it was cyborg, you'd know about it. I'd get very excited. No, it's Spock himself. That's right. Spock is in this novel. It's amazing. So what happens is that... Uh, because as we know, one of the great things about the Star Trek novels is that you weave all these narratives across the centuries so that every character has all been interlinked from the smallest incident in the background of a shot of one episode to Mr. Spock himself. Yes. No. Okay, so so what happens is, so basically there's like this, this kind of like sea monster thing under the sea and it's like that, but it actually turns out it's actually an alien ship that was just going like that. And it comes up and attacks this uh, drill, drill rig on the colony world and they say, oh, Starfleet must help us. So uh, 
So not only do you get great the Starship changes, but also the Starship Enterprise have to team up, right? Have to team up to save the colony. And what happens is that Mr. Spock has to team up with uh, Michael Burnham throughout the novel to solve it together. So there's lots of eternal conflict in background. So it's Captain Pike in it? Captain Pike is in it. He stays on the ship, right? And there's great scenes where you'll have Captain Pike thinking to himself, oh, this Admiral needs to contact me, but on the Constitution-class starships who don't have ready rooms like in all the other ships. So he has to leave the bridge and he has to run down the corridor and get in his quarters so he can take the private messages. See, it's a different class of ship. Okay. Um, and he, he's got lots of respect for Captain Giorgio, so they kind of, they've got their kind of like team-up thing going on. So we've got conflict. We've got conflict because Captain Pike is told by Starfleet you know, if you can't stop this alien thing before it gets off the planet, you have to kill everyone on the planet. And he's like, oh, I don't need to do it. And Captain George was not so... So you've got that plot line with the two historic Starfleet captains meet. You have the other plot line of I said, Michael Burnham and Spock having to come together to use their special science powers, you see, because they've both got science power, to infiltrate the alien vessel and to work through the, the past history that they have together as raised by Sarek because Spock's all like, oh... I went to join Starfleet and my dad never spoke to me again because it's before Johnny Babel continuity and Michael Bottom's like oh but, but Sarek put me on a Starfleet vessel so there's conflict there there's conflict it's exciting and then also <laughs> you have you have the other one you've got uh, uh, the alien chap Saru Lieutenant Saru it's Lieutenant Saru thank you the Kelpian who's the first officer on the Shenzhou he's also a regular there so he has to, so who does he have to team up with Number one. Number one, that's right. Does, does number one ever have a name? She does have a name, which escapes me at this particular point in time, but there was a whole novel about her name. I've not told you about that one, but it's all revealed who she is and everything. In fact, if we have time to do the 50th anniversary study, we could get onto that in a future episode. Anyway, so the point is, right, so, and, and Sadhu, right, has this kind of monologue to himself, and he's like, oh, basically, if she was a Kelpian, I'd fire about her. About number one or about Michael Burnham? About number one, because they're teaming up together to use, and they're, they're, it's an natural because they're both outsiders, you see, they're both outsiders, not, not fully understood, and there's even an exciting sequence where uh, the doctor of the Enterprise, which is the shitty one, before Dr. McCoy is there, teams up with the doctor of the Shenzhou, who gets like one line and discovers the episode two and dies. So it's all all like that, you see. It's all very good. So it's bringing, bringing Star Trek into the discovery sort of timeline and tying it all together and he succeeds in, in stopping the alien vessel and, and everyone's all good and like Captain Pike's like oh see you again some other time and, and Spock and Burnham have managed to resolve all the difficulties they've had with each other and, and so they just left with oh if I see that number one again I'm, oh she's oh you know I want to get my technicals in there and that's kind of the way it goes great <laughs> Uh, I sound, you, you don't sound very convincing in terms of it does charitably it's good you sound very defensive Raph no I'm just explaining how amazing it is no because oh sorry, sorry that's it uh, number one's name is Una right oh I remember now that's why it's just called Una because why calls Una. her number one because it's the closest to Una which is the short version of her real name which is unpronounceable Una one number one let me see what they did there uh, right. Yes. So, do you not think charitably, for the first sort of bit of tie-in fiction about Discovery, when it is trying to kind of find its own way, its own identity, they're going straight back to the teat, as it were, with the original series. That is something of a misstep. Well, no, no, because they all link it together. When you read just <laughs> a passage here, right? This is very good. This is near the end of the book. 
So spoilers to save the day, right? Um, and so, so at one point, obviously, Barnum and Spock have to mind meld. And the reason why they have to mind meld is because on the alien ship, it's one of those ones, all these tests they have to pass and they have to, to mind meld to do it. And then he learns for the first time that his mother really loved him, Amanda, just, just like uh, um, she loved uh, Michael Burnham, you see. But this creates a problem because we don't really see kind of Spock struggling with these kind of emotions in the original series. How did he solve this? I will never tell you. Does he forget about it? So he's thinking to himself, uh, I have never regretted disappointing my father, Spock brooded. But to know that I caused my mother such pain by shutting her out, by obeying my father when he told me to deny, even to myself, the boundless quality of my love for her, I cannot forgive him for that. How can I? He remembered the mind meld. Burnham's memories of being cradled in Amanda's protective embrace. And in that moment, he knew the sting of envy. What I would not have given, he realised. What I would not give even now to feel the courage and my mother's love that Michael got to know for so long. His Vulcan indoctrination reasserted itself with cold, intractable vengeance. This is not our way, he castigated himself. A Vulcan does not wallow in emotion and nostalgia. To fixate upon the past is neither productive nor logical. It took all of his mental training, all of his discipline, to deny the truth he had been shown. With terrible effort, but with no additional regret, he did what he had so long ago been conditioned to do, and buried all of Burnham's memories of Amanda. Because it needs to be done. Because this is her way. Because I, dot dot dot, am a Vulcan. It doesn't sound like one of Mac's winners, if I'm honest. So, uh... Take away your Star Trek fanboy advisor for a moment. I'm just tying in forms. But no, no. But do you not think tying into to to, to all that sort of very on the first first spin off out the gate is a bit of a misstep? Objectively, <laughs> I wish I'd, I wish this was on video just so you could see <laughs> the anguish in the good doctor's face here as he tries well, to. Well, the thing is, right? Th- this novel was written. It was, it, as all novels are. This is all written while Discovery was being made, so it could be released the week that the first two episodes um, went, went online. So at the time it was done, no one could have known if Discovery would be a success or not. I mean, I've got this one season that been cancelled, it might have been a complete bomb. So you might think to yourself, well, we might not get the opportunity to actually have Spock and Enterprise and interact with some of these characters, so let's just sort it, stick our balls in the wall, and just put them in there in the first one, so that if it turns out to be a one season wonder, then the fans got to see the main character meet Spock. So there, that's how I can explain it away. I'm not, I'm not asking you to explain it, I'm just saying, do you not objectively think it's a bit of a misstep? <laughs> Especially now in the light of it being a bit of a success. But at, the time, at the time, at the time, at the time, you didn't know. But, you need, but you'd, still want, times, but you'd still want to have one eye on longevity. This kind of says, Discovery for, I say, seems to be trying to do its own thing it and move, own move, thing, yes, find yes. what Trek on TV in the 21st century needs Enterprise, to be the Enterprise will be mentioned once in an offhand comment yeah. so but this smacks of the wrong approach would you not agree well there's another one out in February that um, stop stop being a politician no answer the question do you not think I got, in the larger context I got my my I'm not asking whether you got your enjoyment book away. I'm asking you to answer the question which is do you not think objectively that's a misstep if you're trying to get a bold new style of TV this is a this is not a bold new it's an old style would you not agree absolutely not that's <laughs> It's, it's great. If there was a lie detector machine attached to you right now, it would have it would have committed suicide based on it's, that. 
It's fair to say that in the pantheon of current trick novels, it's perhaps not quite at the apex. I'm not talking about quality, I'm talking about the choice. I'll, get, I'll come to the quality in a moment because I want you to answer. I will answer me the, the question. Which I, is, I think, I think, objectively, is that not a misstep for your first book? No, because because if you're trying to set a direction, I want to talk in it. All right, is it not a mis a no. misstep? It is, no, isn't it? It's not. You got your fan it's service, not. but it's is not. it not a misstep? It is entirely the correct step. It's, so what you want to see is more Spock. More, more tying into pointless continuity. You know I'm right, and admit it. Just say, well, it's a mistake. Well, obviously, do you know what the second book's about? I'll tell you, right? Because obviously the cover blurb has been out. Okay. All right. Do you remember the original series <laughs> episode? <laughs> 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 do, you, do, you, do you remember <laughs> season one, The Conscience of the King? We had Kodos the Executioner. He came on, and he was like an actor doing like a Shakespeare stuff. And he was a, a war criminal, was he? he no. well, yes, yes. He was Kodos the Executioner, who was when Kirk was a boy. Uh, he was a colony Ryan, governor, colony was governor, and there was a famine, and the food didn't get, didn't think the food was getting there in time, so he killed half, like half the colony, yeah. and he thought he was dead. when He came back. Well, did you know that actually what has happened is that Lorca had to go there and kind of deal with what was going on back in the day. That's what the second book's about. Cards to Blurb, which is all right. I I haven't pre ordered and it will feature on a, a future okay. episode okay. when I read it. So I, I think we can we can agree that for the season is the the Discovery show seems to be quite forward looking in what it's trying to do. Yes. I would see these are far far away from forward looking. Uh, this this is navel gazing and continuity porn. Correct? So I feel, reached, I feel we've uh, reached the end of this exciting episode. We have, we have not. Have we not? We 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 uh, teased our we teased our listeners about Mattel. Oh, oh my goodness! How, oh, how, how oh. could you? In all fairness, <laughs> it's easy to see why Ralph would forget about this particular item. I when I we come to it. Forgot. Well, in that case, I'm going to shut up for a bit and let you talk about the Mattel version. Okay, so we all know Mattel are a, a purveyor of toys uh, who have many notable licenses. Uh, and uh, properties Barbie being uh, we would say chief among them I would say uh, the chief Hot Wheels being the other one uh, for a time they had a, a property that could have done wonders uh, we speak of the glory that is uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe right. uh, they also have other properties which one of them was a, into an actual theatrical motion picture eventually now what are we speaking of we are speaking of Max Steel. That's right, Max Steel. Now, this is Hansen Media before I had the cartoon show, yep. which was reasonably successful. Uh, yep. Decent toy range. Again, not really aimed at us, we were kind of the wrong age for it because it came along yep. long after it was aimed at young kiddies. So basically, it had a toy line, and then it was basically it was done in an animated series back in 2000, 2002. Then there was, apparently, though, something I wasn't aware of, there was nine direct to video animated films. I only saw one of them being released annually from 2004 to 2012 there was a reboot in Disney XD and then uh, there was <laughs> a live action film that's right there was a live action film which uh, was released in America land and uh, didn't come to cinemas in the UK but it had uh, American run and uh, a limited international run and grossed uh, over 6 million dollars which beats German holograms when we're counting um, 
these types of properties now. It was wasted in 16 in America, it sat on the shelf for a couple of years and bounced around the schedule but it didn't actually get a proper release instead of just been going straight to streaming or whatever. In the UK it went to Netflix, which is where I saw it and thought, oh, we need to watch that. So it came out in 2016, was when it was actually released. Uh, they were filming it in 2014 was when it wrapped. It was Mattel Playground Productions and Dolphin Films, apparently did it. It was released by Open Road Films on October 14th, 2016, and was a critical and commercial failure. Its budget was $10 million. Really? Uh, as high as that? Yeah. Wow, it didn't feel like a, it was that high. Its box office was $6.3 million. Indeed. So, as with all, it's... It is quite clearly, it's the origin story. We're trying to show you what the concept is, uh, how it's going to be, and what we're going to do going forward. What was the concept of Max Steel? So if I'm basically, it's a, it opens with a kid being moving house with his mum, so broken family. Uh, we later find out that the dad has passed away. Yeah. It is crucial to later points. Uh, they've moved a number of times. It's not clear why, initially. So he's moved back to their hometown, where they were before the dad died, which is obviously going to be good for the... Yeah. Yes, because yeah, let's go back to let's go back to where we were happier. Yeah, and then moved after bad things happened. But anyway, kid's a little bit of a loner. Walks out, and it seems to have a bit of an, an odd thing with technology, as you'll see. Initially, sort of getting basically breaking phones through touching them, or getting sparkly, glowy energy coming from his hands. Yeah, there's there's um, there's one unfortunate scene. I'm gonna put it um, where he takes his shirt off. Looks he sits by his, his computer and you just see him look like straining at his computer with his top half off and then white flowy stuff is coming off his hand. Yeah. Which is meant to be the, the magical effects of whatever the earth is going on. It's so. tachyon energy he has. Oh it? yeah, they mentioned tachyons a lot. Yeah. And as he has a big build-up of it and it kind of explodes and this frees something from containment in the facility uh, who which then comes looking for him. Turns out this is a, this is a little alien thing called an ultralink who betrayed his race of other Ultralinks because they're wrong ones who are here to destroy the Earth. Yeah. Uh, this Ultralink had previously teamed up with Max's dad to help fight them off mm-hmm. and now try to do the same thing with Max because it turns out Max is actually the son of an alien. His dad was an alien. Gasp. Basically, the people that ran the facility are looking for the alien that's befriended him. There's a horrible training montage where he learns about his powers. He gets his suit of, arm- his suit of armour and that was a fight it's just it's, it's just really dull is the thing we watched this last night and it was a pool it's like over an hour and a half and we felt every minute of it I'd like to point out uh, it does I, have actors in it I I drank some uh, nice orange and mango juice and some Pepsi Max and some Pepsi Max so there was no alcohol involved no we we, we went through it sober uh, uh, the kid is like a pound stretcher version of uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson Pat- from Twiglet he, no, he, in fact, he is basically Robert Pattinson in Twiglet because I'm sorry, he is a, a very fine actor. In Twiglet, he is not. Yes. He yeah. is bereft of any per- charisma and personality, which is just what this young chap is. But there are actually two proper actors in it. That's so true. you have uh, Maria Bello, ER, and other things as well, but as I haven't seen her, she's very good. She is. Uh, not in this, but oh, no one's good in this. You then also have as former friend of Max's dad, and spoilers. The villain of the piece. No. Andy Garcia. That's right, Andy Garcia. Who was an actor. You know, he's got bills to pay like everyone else. But uh, there's other ones. Yeah. Uh, so um, very little happens. Like, I can't believe it. it's as high as $10 million because yeah. anything happens. Oh, oh, 
There is a great sequence, though, when um, he's getting chased by people on a van yeah. and something happens, it takes them out. Oh, yeah, so they're basically they're tracking down because they, f- they obviously detect some of the energy signatures from both uh, the Steel, the Ultralink, and him as well. And so two vans go. So there, there are two vans. Two vans. Yes, the two is important. Two, two black vans. Uh, and basically... Max says we need to split up you can distract him we'll stop it I need to get to the lab and speak to Andy Garcia too yeah so anyway Steel shoots out one of the tyres of that and you get the on the radio no oh no we're completely disabled at which point inappropriate as we laughed a lot more than we should because it was like, yes it was just yeah that's right if you take out one tyre and both two trucks they're both disabled. Yes, exactly. So uh, no one carries spares. <laughs> anyway, but the problem is, it's, it's the Max Steel thing is that he does get a bit of a suit, which is clearly rubber and not metallic in any way, shape, or form. But you get to see Andy Garcia in one of these suits at the end for a Titanic fight scene, which is <laughs> if you're in terms of sort of guys in suit in big rubber suits fighting it's possibly one of the dullest worst fight scenes I've seen I mean I've seen Mutronics and Giver which put it to shame despite having been done nearly two decades before this uh, I can't really say any Power Rangers Sentai show it, it, it's is better actually and, um, and Andy Garcia is basically given a pound stretcher ultron outfit to wear and also gets an accent when he goes in the armour it's true he gets a special evil accent yes, in the armour which he doesn't have before in fact, what, the fight scene is almost like a British fight scene where you've just got two people kind of standing next to each other very lightly jabbing. Yeah, it, it, it does feel like basically BBC Robin Hood yeah. era fight scenes. And you can see it's like, oh, I want this energy from you, I'm going to take this energy, I'm going to use it to conquer the world. And Max Steel, the combined form, is like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you all the energy. And it's got like some Iron Man shots of their faces and the helmets as it comes it's, back and forth. But best of it is though, at one point it was going to be Taylor Lautner as Max Steel be to drop out due to commitment to the Stretch Armstrong film. Oh, oh no. <laughs> but the reason it got binned it's initially, got made, anyway. the reason it binned was because they were developed the TV series in 2013. So then resumed afterwards with when they partnered with Dolphin to fund the film because Mattel were not going to put enough money into it. Funny <laughs> that. So basically, it grossed 3.8 million in the US and Canada and 2.5 million in other countries. Now it opened alongside the accountant and Kevin Hart. What now? the same weekend it was expected to gross between 5 to 7 million from the 2034 theatres in its opening weekend on the first day it grossed 637,795 so it got 2.2 million finishing 11th then basically died so there's the critical stuff here in terms of like things like Rotten Tomatoes it's got an approval rating of 0% and an average rating of 2.5 on Metacritic it's got 22 out of 100 based on critic reviews of 7 generally unfavourable reviews thing is it was also film, clearly filmed with 3D in mind oh that's uh, also 3D that clearly was meant to be post converted the title sequence is basically a Poundland version of the X-Men title sequences very much so even, even to the musical cues being very similar to the Michael Kamen stuff for the first one yeah. uh, it was just very dull and they had no money even with that 10 million yeah, it's not on screen I don't know if it all paid for Andy Garcia's fee but or I had it paid for his belts that's right and one of the finest credits you see in motion picture history there's a credit for Andy Garcia's hair he has a hairstylist and, and, and credits for Andy Garcia's belts 
I have uh, to say, I never really noticed his belts. I mean, did they, did they mean like the belts he had when he was like a normal person? Yeah. Or right. the special Ultron suit? No, because it wasn't really a belt on the Ultron suit. Uh, so it's just the belt. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't even give you like traditional... The, the end point is, you see him training with... with at the end, he's back in the steel arm. They're, they're learning to fly, and they, but it's a long shot in the distance. So you, whatever CG yeah. model they're using can be as low res and rubbish. You won't even get like a big. Yeah, I don't even get like flying towards the camera. No, there's. N- I don't know where the ten million went. And yeah, it's astonishing because the Mattel still can't get a Barbie film made. Even though the Amy Schumer attached it for a while, which I think was actually a good idea. Yeah. Um, because she's talented and can write. As well as act. Yes. Uh, and is an attractive looking lady, but not a kind of like stereotype Barbie type figure. So I think it'd be quite healthy for yeah. a paper brand. Unfortunately, she left, so it's now back in limbo. They can't get He Man made, but at least they got Max Steel made, Sean. But the they thing is, got one made. but remember, they, we, they've announced the, the release date of He Man, <laughs> despite the fact that being charitable is like, you've not cast anybody, I don't see a person writing it, a, or a director. A director I also so. don't see pre-production being done for if it's going to be what it should be you kind of would hope that would have started by now because we, we love He-Man it's true uh, I've, I've long held the fact that it still boggles my mind realistically that Transformers lasted against He-Man yeah because Gruffy as well, Mr. Nickel we've, we've echoed this in chat as well it's like He-Man's got sci-fi and sword and sorcery yep. downplay one and upplay the other when tastes change exactly and you should have been able to ride that out as much as you wanted but because Mattel have a a bizarre marketing team that ruin and kill everything also case assortments as well but anyway so if you want to check out Netflix it's not at least Netflix UK what I advise you to do is don't (laughs) yes I can't in all good con not even in a it's so bad it's good yes, well, I was hoping it, for like a three three beer because kind of we, we're, we're no strangers to bad superhero films oh, we have exactly. seen because we, we remarked upon uh, Iron Hero yes which is a horrific we've, Iron we've, Man we've even watched not only Transmorphers but Transmorphers 2 Fall of Man, Man. yes uh, I've seen the Man Thing movie yeah which actually is watchable it's not that bad it's not great but it's watchable it's because it's a horror film really yeah. just with it's the, away with and but yeah, we've we've yeah. seen lots of bad things. Exactly. And but we it's just we struggled. But it was just so dull. It yeah. probably was just there's nothing to it. And it does quite clearly set up the sequel because yes. Max Steel learns his learns his purpose. He's there to stop the other Ultralinks. They'll come back eventually. And the Ultralink end up being they're just the same as the Steel creature, uh, but they become big clouds, basically like glowing red versions of the third cloud that Parallax was in Green Lantern. Well, Turk Clouds feels like a natural point to finish off. Yes, uh, we kind of done a little bit of a downer for that one. Probably should have got Max Steel out of the way. But Well, you know, from uh, every light comes after darkness, <sighs> as they say. But yes, so uh, do not check it out. We've, there's not really been any, have we, we haven't even talked about anything anything good. Good stuff is in the next episode. That's, That's right. It's not, because I've got to talk about the Dalek book. <laughs> um, don't spoil it. Might be good. <laughs> like, you leave him in suspense. Okay. I'm going to talk about the Dalek. It's not entirely worthless. Well, if there's something like an incentive to shoot back in, there can be one. Oh, no, we've, we've got other. We did mention it. We, we yeah. have other stuff to talk about. Other stuff. All right. 
but goodbye. we will leave you for a few weeks. Goodbye. Uh, no, stop telling me goodbye. This is the traditional part where you, you have good, to do your... Good, good journey. Do you not listen to other podcasts? This is the bit where you go, rate, review on iTunes. Oh, uh, That's yeah, all right, that. Come on. on iTunes. Up your game. It's, it's really helpful. And go Algorithms go, and ghosts. Yeah, go, go, go do that. Uh, but seriously, if you want to check us out... Uh, there is a, a Twitter feed, uh, Startup Pod. There is a Facebook page as well, and we also, uh, despite uh, not encouraging, appear to be getting donations for future content already hitting the doorstep of the Startup uh, Compound in Fife. More on them later. Yes. So, we will see you all on a, when episode three drops. Good journey. Very well. <laughs> Ha 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 